we took a week off, gave you some interviews. It was really fun. And now we are back with stories about camp. Asking me to pick a story to tell about camp is sort of like, please pick a drop from this ocean. So I brought in two camp experts, two experts at camp. Uh, we have Herschel Bleefeld, who's an incredibly talented actor and improv comedian and just generally fabulous storyteller. We quote Herschel's stories to ourselves constantly, my husband Matt and I. We're always like throwing Herschel punchlines at each other. No pressure. No pressure. I'm not going to build you up too much and make you <laughs> nervous and have you tank it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and we've known Herschel for an incredibly long time and have been delighted by him for most of that time. Thank you. Not all. Um, <laughs> Dave McHugh is here also and Dave McHugh is my husband Matt's writing partner together they have been thumping their way through Hollywood and movie writing and TV writing for more than 10 years ready no funny re- stories that they talk None. about with me though Don. no <laughs> we don't quote the writer Dave 10 years um, you know Dave is our is our family and uh, Dave is our family we see every day Herschel is our family that we talk distant, about all the time and never see, even see though he's only over there in the valley. <laughs> oh, Mr. Dinerbeck, how could you be so mean? We told you you'd be sorry for inventing that machine. Now all the neighbors' cats and dogs will never more be seen. They've all been ground to sausages in Dinerbeck's machine. I spent three and a half summers at a camp in upstate New York, and there are many different things I could talk about, but I kind of wanted to talk about the fact that when people think about camp and there's movies out there that have revolved around camp, there is a little bit of a dark side to camp. There is always something kind of spooky or attracts crazy people. I think there's a reason that camp movies are mostly horror stories. As you're about to hear. Camp of the Woods is the place that I went to in Speculator, New York, like middle of the Adirondacks. When I first went up there, it was the summer between 8th and 9th grade. You know, I was like super excited. But on your way up there, you pass all these houses. And if you've ever been really to upstate New York, the houses look like the houses from like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The further (laughs) north you get, you're like, this is terrifying as hell. (laughs) But you don't really think much about it. You get up there and then all of a sudden you're surrounded by a bunch of kids and, you know, people either on vacation and everything. Because the camp that I went to was more of a resort, and it was Christian-based. So it was very, very Christian-y, because I was like a... On the Christian scale, was it like a... Ten. Oh. Actually, maybe even 11. Capital C. Holy cow. There was pastors that were coming every week, and because I was Catholic, I was the devil. Like, I'm uh, 13 years old, and a girl that's 15, she's like, why do you think Mary deserves to be idolatized or be uh, thought sanctimonious in the Catholic faith. I'm, I'm 13. <laughs> Next. Uh, that's, a, that's a heavy I question for me. I'm just here to get chicken nuggets at the, <laughs> when, at the food free swim. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm at this camp and this is 1987. About 10 years earlier, there was a serial killer that was loose <laughs> named Robert Garrow. <laughs> they believe he killed up to 27 people, but because a whole bunch of stuff was kind of going on, it got lost in the news at the time. And he was all around there. And he even like was up in the woods at the camp that I was at. The legend is that he came in super close contact to the camp, like owner's child, and there was this, like, this boot print. So... When you get there, you know, you're in the middle of the Adirondacks, it's super creepy, and you're like, oh, well, great, so that, ha, 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 what do you mean Camp Crystal Lake? Oh, no, like, there was actually, like, a killer running around here, so sleeping was always a little bit weird. 
so you hear that and you're like well i'm sure everything's fine like who, <laughs> you know it's camp it's gonna be summer we're gonna water ski it's gonna <laughs> be great yeah, serial murders totally have safe. taken a vacation it's yeah, summer yeah because yeah. you know it's it's been years and everybody loves camp and the people <laughs> from the town are probably excited because the huge influx of tourists but that's not even remotely true the people of speculator new york hated the camp <laughs> hated like with a white hot heat and i <laughs> there's like there's two little stories about this one's quick one's a little longer so like every good camp in this blessed country of ours it was on a lake boys park was way more north than uh, girls park and it was like the furthest place in camp as far as the grounds so yeah, everybody had to go back and there was always lights out so everybody was basically in bed every night by like 10 10 30 unless you were you were... a camper at this point no i was always a worker there i was a dish boy which by the way was it sounds ridiculous but it was the most badass gig there like yeah, all the boy. chicks dig the dish boys because we were a bit <laughs> rebellious and we wore bandanas that's right bandanas <laughs> like i don't know who that guy is he kind of looks like karate kid <laughs> that was me. Yeah. I looked kind of like Karate Kid back then. Yeah. Now I looked like a man who's sad. <laughs> so everybody's in bed at like 10 o'clock. There was the morning that we woke up and there was kind of chaos everywhere. It was like everybody was chirping and talking and there seemed to be some sort of excitement going on. And we're making our way down to the dish hall because we had to work. And we're like, wow, everybody seems all agitated. What's going on? And they're like, oh, security caught some locals. They came on the beach last night and they got caught they were just past the kind of the church area and they had a bunch of rope and duct tape they were trying to make their ways up to boys park to kidnap someone we're like what <laughs> like wait a minute what <laughs> like yeah yeah the locals were trying to they don't like us they're gonna try to kidnap somebody and then what so you're like wait a minute what and they're like no no it's fine they caught them like oh okay so we can just go about our business and be fine because they caught the locals trying to come up and kidnap someone so that was like one of the first times where you're like, okay, so there was a serial killer here about like eight, nine years ago, and locals are trying to, you know, kidnap kids. You know, when you were at camp also, you would be lucky, you know, the escape to go into town. Yeah. Because camp food sucked. Everybody knows camp food sucked outside of like bug juice and the occasional french fries that Grilled you got. Cheese. Grilled cheese. Yes, actually, we're not too bad either. But we would go into town, and that's also where you'd have to do your laundry. And oh my like, God! They didn't have laundry at no, camp. No, it was uh, well, it was a Christian camp, and they didn't like us. Uh, <laughs> and they paid you like less than minimum wage, and we worked like ninety hours a week. And you're like, here's your check for twenty eight dollars. Well done, boys. Oh wait, you hurt your leg. Twelve dollars. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible, man. We charge you for the band aid. Yeah, the first full summer I worked, I think it was like twenty one days straight without a break, and each week we got forty dollars. It was great. Like three meals a day, three hours each meal, something like that. It was nuts. Anyways. So you would have to go in town to do your laundry, and right next to the laundromat was a pizza joint. And in a town that probably, when it's not summer, has about five, 600 people, the pizza joint is kind of where people hang. So there was locals there, and my friends were doing their laundry, and as they're doing their laundry, some local guy's like, well, you think you're cool because you got a bathing suit? <laughs> And like, they're like, what do you mean? I don't, what do you mean, cool? Because we, they're like, yeah, you keep talking that. And they're like, what are you talking about? And so they were like, we got to do our laundry here. Because everybody's like 15, 16. And you're just like, I don't want to mess with these kids that are clearly 19 and going nowhere. And they have like four by fours. And it's like a scene out of deliverance. And the walk from like the laundromat back to the camp was probably about two miles. Oh, my God. You had to so, walk back with all your laundry? Yeah. Yeah. 
because, well, I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to get a ride from somebody? This is 1987. Take Dangerous. an Uber, man. Take an Uber. <laughs> Take an Uber. Hey, dear future. Uber, uh, of the, Uber of the woods. <laughs> What's up, Camp Uber? <laughs> dear Camp Uber. So my friends appropriately freaked out by these locals who thought they were cool guys because they had, you know, jams. <laughs> try to make their way back, and as they're walking back, they're about like a half a mile, they still have like a mile and a half to go, a 4 by 4 pulls up, and it's the guys from the laundromat, <laughs> and they're like, hey, you know, you guys think you're so great, you know, and then they jump off the 4 by 4 and start chasing them, so they like throw their bags of laundry into <laughs> the air, and they break up. Of course, you know, it's like you never leave each other. But they immediately, you know, spider flight, they're like, you know, you're the slower one. Screw you, Tom. So, like, Tom was actually faster than Keith. Tom made it back to the camp. No scratches, no bumps, no nothing. But Keith ended up getting chased into the swamps and absolutely got worked over by a bunch of, like, local <laughs> kids. Punched stomach, like, came back, bruised, split lips and everything. Just completely worked over. So... We were all told, hey guys, try to stay away from town for a little while. <laughs> for a little uh, while. <laughs> you don't have to do laundry. Maybe don't do laundry for a little while. <laughs> I mean, my whole thing about camp is that it was terrifying. I mean, outside of it being the greatest experience of my life and like a sexual awakening for like a 14-year-old, <laughs> it was also like a horrible dark side that like at any moment either a serial killer or a townie could come and get you. It was kind of felt like Evil Dead up there because like also the Adirondacks at any moment, the weather would change and there would be dark thunderstorms that would show up. And it was absolutely terrifying. Did anyone try to adjust your Catholicism? They basically tried to just get me to drop all of it and become much more of a kinder, gentler human being, which I'm <laughs> assuming your husband might be able to tell you didn't <laughs> take. Totally worked. Yeah, didn't take at all. I was the one who was, because we would constantly sneak out and try to get down to girls' camp. You know, you would try to break curfew and do stuff and I was put on either, I got work purrs, which is like they would either have you do some crazy slave labor where you'd scrub underneath the area where you'd wash dishes with straight bleach, which is like mustard gas when yeah. you're under there. <laughs> or like you would be put on curfew for like two and a half weeks and you would have to go up to Boys Park where a townie would be waiting for you. Oh <laughs> and you'd be there at eight o'clock at night. You're like, I guess I'll weed. So you did not have the traditional, I'm eight years old, not swimming in the lake. No, not at all. I went there and I was like 13, 14. If I wanted that experience, I would have went to the camp that was about a mile and a half from my house where I grew up. Camp Wing, which, you know, no <laughs> one got stabbed there by townies because everybody in Duxbury was great. I went to Jewish camp. Uh, the year between being a camper and being a counselor, they had this program that was literally in Hebrew, the word was avodah, which means work. <laughs> <laughs> Right? And so you were in this program and the whole idea was you work and you give back to the camp. But it wasn't a volunteer program and it wasn't a pay program. You actually had to pay to go and do this program. And we all like had to fill out applications and be accepted into it. And I remember standing in the boys' bathroom as I'm about ready to plunge my fourth toilet of the day and it's spewing all over the place. I was like, what else could I have done with my summer? What could I have done with my parents' money? Anything? Buy 8,000 pounds of bubble gum. Like anything would have been better than like the slave labor, but it was also good fun. I got there one summer before camp completely opened. You're running around, either people are painting things or making sure it's cleaned up so that, you know, when Wally World opened up, it was beautiful. Right. And there was a problem with, like, some sort of septic tank. 
There's always a problem with septic tank. Yeah, there's always a problem. Get Dave. He's the Catholic. He'll do it. (laughs) That's kind of exactly what happened. (laughs) Get Dave. And, like, where, like, whatever, the manhole cover or whatever it was came off. And they're like, we got to go in there and knock the, uh, you know, the Dingleheimer loose. And they're like, who's going to do it? And everybody looked at me. And so I'm like, all right. So I go in, and I'm, like, hanging in by my waist, like, feet out. And I don't know if you've ever really been in a septic tank where it's, like, stalagmites and stalactites of shit. (laughs) <laughs> in there it's like I, I know exactly what hell looks like and I'm swinging like it's like the most horrible thing you could ever breathe in and I'm like swinging a monkey wrench trying to knock this thing loose so that could actually flow again in there probably it was great so I know and then they're like here's your $20 good so that's work. where all the poo of the woods and that's where went. I got hepatitis yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding Speaking of, like, being at camp and having, like, weird town situation, my camp was in Zionsville, Indiana, which, <laughs> which, which, by the way... Say no more. Say no more. No, it's, it's really good. You all need to know this. It's considered one of the ten most anti-Semitic towns in the country. <laughs> now, the great thing about Zionsville, Indiana is, is that every year during summer camp, there is always, an, like, a, an instance where a sheriff shows up and says... Don't tell the kids, but one of the people around here painted a swastika on the front gate. Like every year. And you're like, like the kids see the sheriff car drive off. And you know, like the big talk is like, are the Nazis coming in to, to get us again in Zionsville, Indiana? And you're like, here they come. I have to say I have new, I mean, as if I didn't already love my own camp more than life itself. Uh, I have new respect for my own camp after hearing about your horrible shitty I mean, that was like a small camp. percentage of the, you know. <laughs> 99 Can you, before we move on, can you just tell us one great story about camp? Like, just a short, awesome, good things happened here. Oh my god, okay. So, I, like I said, I was a I was a dish boy, and so we were, were a crew of boys. Like, everybody's like, we got each other. It was the greatest thing ever, being like a dish boy. Yeah. Because we were left, like, in the dish hall after, like, after everybody left, you know, you're doing dishes and cleaning things up. So, once everybody's gone, everybody is like 15, so they're like, what trouble can we cause? Now, the dish hall that we all worked in, which is like the dining hall too, was this huge building and like the pitch of the roof was about 45 degrees and it was like six stories. We had learned from our forefathers, like the dishwashers of old, like, have you guys used the uh, roof yet to go sledding? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, oh yeah, you gotta go sledding on the roof. They're like, what does that mean? Oh, I no. was the one person who I felt like was smart enough to go like, that sounds like a horrible idea, but I'll watch you guys do it. So the roof was like, you know that copper roofing, like how eventually it turns green? So that's what it was like, all metal sheets on this roof. And you would go and climb up to the roof and throw soapy water on it and then ride those uh, giant uh, rubber bins that you see busboys carrying (laughs) down the roof. We got a bunch of the guys to go do this, and there was this one kid who got the nickname of Boner because he looked like the kid Boner from Growing Pains. It's the Bone. He was like the nicest kid in the world. I bet. And so, and he just wanted to be liked, so he's like, I'll go first. And, <laughs> oh, Andy, I miss you so much. Well, they went up, like, threw the soapy water on it, and Andy got in his rubber tub and rocketed down. And the thing that you had to do, because when you came to the end of the roof, you had to, like, you know, you're sitting in it, you're in the sled. You had to kick yourself out because when the roof came to this end, it was, like, about, like, a five-foot gap before it came to some dirt. And it was, like, about a four-foot drop. So if you, you know, you kind of think of, like, you're just sledding, all of a sudden the ground gives out, 
you've got a, a four foot gap to <laughs> this other thing. But if you fell in that four foot gap, it was nine feet down and you would have landed on like tree roots and stumps. It was terrible. So then, you know, if you got to the other side, generally like you land on your feet and tumble roll up and you're like, I stuck the landing like Carrie Strug. Andy never made it out of the tub. <laughs> and he just it's like think of the scene from a christmas vacation when clark's like i put the you know the slick thing on the bottom of this sled and he took off and it was like a flare that's how fast andy came down the the, like the roof and he just never got out and he landed so hard and he hit his back because he stayed in the rubber thing and we thought he was paralyzed but he was all right yeah, that's how right. most camp stories end he was, yeah. he was, he was all, all right he was all right Your camp yeah. has terrified me. <laughs> it was great, though. Yeah. Unlike your camp, my <laughs> camp was genuinely the best camp ever. I went to a Quaker camp in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I had what I think might be considered, and probably Herschel, you had this too, the classic camp experience of I started when I was eight years old all the way till I graduated in 1990 and then had this year of terror as to whether I was going to get back on staff. You graduate camp and you graduate all together and it's like this is the most amazing place I've ever known and I may never come back. <laughs> and like all during the year, I'd write poetry about what it was like to leave camp. And I went through and I found some. And it was like... Sympatico right it, now. It, it was just like, um, I know, look, it's got like the little... It's yeah, like typed up. The way it went at my camp was the morning, the last morning when all the parents were coming to pick you up, they would sing you out of the dining hall. Ugh. I know. Heartbreaking, they right? They would sing you the song George Fox. We were stabbed out. Yeah, you <laughs> And so I'd write just this poetry like saying goodbye, making the transition scary, but sent on our way by a song makes things easier. Period. A little. Camp was already like deeply embedded in my psyche. Ugh. And of course I come back. And did you cry, by the way, the whole oh, car ride, right, just bawling? Ugh, we'll get know, you McDonald's if you not stop even crying. Like, no, I don't care. Not even like little cried. You may have noticed from some of these other podcasts, like my childhood was not the most right. socially cohesive. Yeah. And camp was the one place where I... Had friends. Had friends yeah, and belonged. That was the thing that was awesome friends. about camp is yeah. that like nobody knew anything about you but the person that yes. you were there. So everybody when was so When I was at camp as a camper, and... I was me. I was the closest to me I have ever been. Yeah. And more or less yeah. the same. Things always get more complicated when you're a counselor, but it was more or less the same. And so when I would get older, I would run the wilderness trips. This was my thing. I adored the people who would run the wilderness trips before me. And when I ascended to this role, it was just great. And what we did at this camp was you did two days hiking on the Appalachian Trail and then two days canoeing the Delaware River and one oh, group of awesome. counselors did oh it was amazing one group of counselors did the hiking with the kids and one group of counselors did the canoeing and I really cottoned to the canoeing I love that river I still wake up smelling the river <laughs> I know what it feels like to put your paddle in the river and feel the weight of it against the paddle and, and I was like the most ripped I've ever been in my entire <laughs> life like every picture of me from camp is me making a bicep like yeah bring it I brought pictures like <laughs> I looked amazing and so one of the things that came with being the wilderness person was you got to drive the camp van a lot. Nice. Yeah. And this was a, 
I think it was either 1974 or 1976, but either way, it was either two years older than or my same age, this van. I'm going to say 74. 1974, 15-seater Dodge Ram, shit brown color with the name of the camp on the side, Camp Onus. Let me just say, I got really good with the van. And when you were driving the kids to the canoeing, you had to have seven canoes on the back. So it was like a canoe hitch, all the canoes. Maybe I know. Just a scary drop. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's so long. Yeah, it's so long. And like they're strapped together with bicycle tires. Like not even real straps. And inevitably, at least once a summer, you lose a canoe. You lose a canoe. It just goes flying off the road. Gotta go back for it. Where's that canoe? Oh, shit. The moment I knew I had arrived was when this amazing, legendary, one of the co-directors of the camp, his name was Russ. Yeah. And he deemed me worth worthy not just to drive the van but to learn how to parallel park it with the canoe hitch on the back <laughs> whoa that's I like four know. turns and so you have to turn the wheel the opposite way as you would think to parallel park because the canoe hitch goes in the opposite way and then you flip the only thing i could have been more cool doing was learning to do run the tractor but i didn't know how to do sticks so like i was kept out of the highest echelon of awesome capable responsibility so I'm in my senior year of, of high school, and I'm pretty sure I'm not coming back to camp. And I'm writing my college essays. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, this summer, I plan to abandon my family. That's how my camp essays, <laughs> my, camp, my college essays started. Was this for GW? Yeah. yeah. So you got in with this? I got in with this. So here's, <laughs> but here's, here's a joke. This is the last one. As I leave the last tangible traces of my childhood behind, I will take with me the joy of these summers and the lessons I have learned. Being at Onus for so long has given me the confidence to leave. And I cried so hard (laughs) writing this that I went back to camp. Yes, but Uh, if Herschel was the admissions (laughs) officer, would be like, pass, please. So, Jenny, I really like the way you handle that canoe van. <laughs> All right, so we take the kids down this river, and it's Delaware River. It's mostly really tame, a couple of fun riffles, some rapids. There's this one rapid called Foul Rift. It's a class two rapid. A class two rapid is like some shit. Mm-hmm. And we took <laughs> if the 12 Vietnam and 13-year-olds down this minimally to, trained 12 and 13-year-olds. To people year from the city, that's that's some shit. That's some shit, yeah. yeah. To people from Colorado, I mean, it's, Colorado, it's like, it's like, like a, I'm asleep and I'm going right. down a class two it's rapid. It's a light right. rain. But for New York kids and Philly kids, it was a big deal. Absolutely. So, but this re- elevation, like, it dropped 22 feet and a half a mile. So it was like riding oh, a roller real. coaster. That's real. That's real. And so one time we ran into this reporter, this local paper reporter from Trenton or somewhere, and he's doing the covering entire, a covering a murder, <laughs> doing the entire Delaware River and writing about it the whole way. And he oh, was God. terrified to go down Foul Rift. So in this newspaper, this local newspaper, there's a picture of 19-year-old Jenny giving the Foul Rift talk because I invited him to it. And like I took him down the river and took him down safely. I have press. If you talk about deliverance i was part reynolds right <laughs> that sleeveless i was suit, just like top. you know with the biceps too like i had the biceps so this is all to tell you this is a story about how i finally left camp my last summer camp was between junior and senior year of college so we're in college now wow and i stayed all the way and it was later in the summer and for some reason this time i'm doing the hiking trip right i normally always do canoeing but this time later in the summer do hiking and it was fine and we get the kids to the river and then the canoeing counselors come they bring the canoes and it's like raining and i'm wearing my pajama bottoms because like someone got pancakes on my shorts and you know it's just you're gross at the end of the hiking and it was fine like we send them off down the river and they go and i take off my shoes and take off my socks because like they're really gross after two days hiking and i just like stick my feet in the delaware river and like at the delaware water gap which is where our canoe trips start Mm -hmm. the sand is so fine that it feels like velvet and so I have this memory of this like feeling of just this nice water and the rain is coming down and like my toes are in the this velvet sand and I remember just being so happy. 
So I have my moment. We get back in the van and it's parked on the beach and I roar it up the boat launch and we're off and we're on 611. I don't know if you've ever been on this road in 611. Yeah. Do you know this road? Yeah. So outside of Philadelphia. So it goes outside of Philadelphia and then it goes down and and a certain point. There you go. I know that whole area. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so we were on the part that sort of parallels the river and it's a narrow road. And it's one of those narrow road where there's a, for a long way along the river, there's an old canal on the left side of it. I you know, know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. And on the right side of it, there's like kind of mountains. So there's not a lot of maneuvering room. So when you're driving a 15-seater Dodge Ram with a canoe trailer <laughs> on the back, you better know your shit. You know, it's I'm going slower and it's kind of like raining. It's not raining hard, but the roads are slick. So I know I need to pay the fuck attention. We're about to take this one curve and there's not a lot of shoulder. And as I'm in the, like the first part of the curve, I see this cyclist right in front of me. And he's on one of those goddamn road bikes that weigh no pounds and I'm in a Dodge Ram 15 seater and I know I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill this guy. And I don't know what's on the other side of the curve. And so I just, you know, what are you going to do? Like like the devil you know or the devil you don't. You killed him. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So I swerve the van to the left. Oh, man. Yeah. And that's all I really remember because I'm not lucky and there is another car coming. And the next thing I remember is smoke. And my first thought is, oh, my God, the van's on fire and the kids and the canoes and the kids and the canoes. I turn to the counselors who were with me in the van. I'm like, we have to get the kids. We have to get the canoes. And they're like, Jenny, there are no kids. They're on the river. I was so whacked in my head. And there's smoke. I just took one moment in this sort of burning van to have like this moment of like, there are no kids in this van. Did you head on collision? Yeah. Driver to driver. So this poor guy, this older guy with this big gray beard coming around. I think he was delivering I mean, milk. It's crazy too because these vans have like no front. Yeah. yeah. No Thank God this guy was at least in a little pickup truck. We just went driver to driver. Ugh. Bang. Oh, right? Man. And so I'm scrambled and like I got to get out of the van. I'm like my knee hurts and I look down and my pajama bottoms are shredded. Ugh. And there's blood coming out my knee. Yeah. And I remember like for some reason deciding to crawl out the passenger side because that's the way my friends went. And they were like, okay. They were not hurt because everybody had their seatbelt on because they were good counselors. And I'm like crawling out the passenger van. I get down the road and I walk away from the van. And it's not till moments later that I realize that my feet are bleeding because I didn't have any shoes on. Because I had taken my shoes off in the river and I was like, I'm going to be that's, cool. I'm gonna you dr- never drive without shoes. I mean, I am I wrong, everybody? Off. I drive without shoes all the time. So like at the moment that I look down, I see like blood on my feet. Like this is where my memory is totally that, by gone. the way that's my nightmare yeah like walking on feet. glass bloody feet it's like, like die, it's hard. die hard yeah so <laughs> shoot the, the glass shoot the glass <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing i remember i wake up and i'm in a hospital in easton pennsylvania and someone's taking dashboard out of my knee and someone else is taking glass out of my feet and that's pretty much all i remember and i'm terrified that i've killed the other driver I'm just like terrified. Like I'm a half Jewish man, but I got one and a half Jewish guilt. I got it all. I got 150% Jewish guilt. So I just demand to know, like, have I killed? And I'm like thinking, I can't be a killer. I work for a Quaker camp. <laughs> I can't be a killer. <laughs> like, if you went if to Dave's a Christian camp, camp, you would. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I was terrified. They'd so- probably make you camp director. <laughs> like, hey, oh, you've That's murdered? You've murdered? Well, we've perfect. got a position opening up. Now convert that Catholic kid. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> I find out somehow he's okay. Like, he's not okay, but he's not dead. So I just move on to the debilitating guilt that I have destroyed 
a 20 year old camp van yeah this camp van is part of the family and i just it was totally <laughs> crush that guy outside of all the guy i mean fortunately he wasn't the director at the time his daughter okay. was okay. and like he had retired but yeah he's in my mind and she's in my mind and i'm just like i have failed camp so while you're going through all of this physical yeah. therapy and learning to walk again like the yeah. guy in raw deal arnold yeah. schwarzenegger's buddy <laughs> yeah you're like that camp van yeah, I'm exactly. so sorry. Were you like worried that he would like find you and be like, "You really, you really let me down." With that accident, you know, it was an you accident was for Christ's sake. I was 20 yeah. years old, and it was not my fault. Camp, there was a goddamn cyclist in the road on, on trees, a rainy Jenny. day, but they really don't. I know. There was never a cyclist on that right. road. I know, right? <laughs> you haven't seen a cyclist here so, for 20 years. The next thing I remember, I'm back in the camp infirmary. I'm a mess, right? Like I'm just a mess, and like this is the time when they they send you home. Like, you're not supposed to be at camp when you're sick. Yeah. Because it's full of dirt, and there are hills. And I can hardly walk. Egg, yes. There was no infirmary? No, there was. It was a beautiful infirmary. It was, it was first rate, but it wasn't meant... When you're sick at my camp, they send you home. And you can't hike in a wheelchair. You can't hike in a wheelchair. You can't lead a canoeing thing. Like, I was done. I had tapped out. And so they tried to call my mom, but she was on vacation. Because what do you do when your 20-year-old daughter's at camp? All you do so not leave a nobody knew where my mom was. I knew, but I couldn't reach her at some hotel in Maine. Couldn't find her. So I had to spend the night. And of course, I hadn't showered in two days because I'd come from a, Ugh, a trip. Disgusting. So I insisted... I know, disgusting. I insisted on taking a shower. So they wrapped my knee in the plastic and they wrapped my feet in the plastic and I try to go take a sit-down shower. Horse bath. Horse bath, yeah. And I'm just crying because like, <laughs> I know it's over. Like, camp is over and I'm still here. And people will come to visit and, like, you know, my ex-boyfriend at the time, I have this weird memory of my ex-boyfriend coming in and being like, and that's a false memory. I'll never forgive you for ruining yeah. the van. That's a false memory in my mind. Shame it had to end like this, yeah. Jenny. No, it Everything already we ended. had was a lie. But, but it was just like I felt the weight, just the weight of the disappointment of everybody, even though they were probably all just worried about me. Yeah. So I'm in the shower and I'm trying to get up and it's hard. And so I pull on the handicap bar and I pull up and I feel my back just separate. What? I know. I know. It didn't really separate, but it was that feeling of like, wah, wah. It sounds like an ad for workers' comp, to be honest with you. Why, <laughs> I know. Why did you like, yeah. Workers' comp paid for everything. The next day, my uncle had to come and take me home. Ugh. And and like, there's a whole other story about what happened to me when I got home was my mom was still not home, and I had no one to call because all my friends were like away, so there was nobody home, and I had to call my old ex-boyfriend and be like, I need to eat food so I can take the perks. It's a long story. But the bottom line is... It was really hard for me to leave yeah. camp, and it took a car crash. I ejected yeah. out of that camp in a terrible car crash and never really felt the same again. Like, I still love camp, and I still feel it, but I still feel like I basically failed camp. I feel like if Dave well, and did. I had gone to your camp, we could have also been your ex-boyfriend. I like, know. Pretty like much everybody was. Was your ex-boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's the moral that's of the, the story. Moral. I want to know why you had so many friends at camp. Yeah. Always date the canoe girl. Find about, the loose girl. You want to talk about a whore bath? I got your whore bath right here. <laughs> hey, you guys want to go camping? Hey, that's go amazing. No, it's weird. Something about that crash made me feel separate from the place that yeah. I had felt like I belonged for so long. And it never felt, and then I moved to California and it's like not easy to go back yeah, yeah. for the Memorial Day reunion or the winter <laughs> sure. reunion or whatever. Like, and so the right. distance just grew and it doesn't make me love it any less. Camp has grown in my memory as this precious and sacred thing. Yeah. 
even though I no longer really have any day-to-day contact with it, I send $100 every once in a while to send yeah. kids to camp. And this funny thing is that ever since I have not been able to leave places properly. When I was at CBS News and everybody and their mother and me knew that I wasn't meant to be a CBS Evening News producer, right. I couldn't just leave. They had to mercy kill me. Like, <laughs> did they? Did you crash a I CBS mean, it was like, news van? It was, <laughs> it was like, one way out of here. Basically, it was like the HR equivalent of being car crashed out of of, of CBS News. Right. And the same thing for Yahoo. Like, but thank God they had a van. Thank God they had a van. <laughs> they brought me into a little room, and the Boom. basically thing is like, I cannot leave places. I have to be crash landed out of them. Wow. I can't. So I don't know. I I don't know what the psychologist would say about it, but like, I stick. Jenny, you know what's yeah. funny about your, your story is of the idea of feeling separate. I mentioned we, we had an infirmary at my camp, and there were points when we would just be so fatigued from camp that, like, five of us would be like, we're all super sick. <laughs> and we would, like, go to the infirmary and just take three days off. It literally was like Lord of the Flies in that infirmary. It's like you walk in there and there's like dudes hanging from rafters and like me running around in my boxers with no shirt on and some girl like weeping in a corner. What was hard was is that like if you checked into the infirmary, you had to stay for at least 24 hours. It gets to be the point where like you're standing at the window and you're seeing everybody having the best time. You don't realize how uneventful the infirmary is until like that's the day that they bring gallons of ice cream and a yes. slip and slide and like everything to camp and they're like sorry but you're checked into the to the infirmary and it really does like the idea of being taken out it's and feeling so separate while immediate. you're it's so hard and, and it happened to me like that's that final summer like i went home and i had to heal but then i came back two weeks later for and the last did. You did, no, I know yeah. I did. For the last night of camp dinner where all the count- the kids are gone and all the counselors are there and they have this nice dinner. And I came back and I thought everything would be okay, but I was already a ghost. Camp had moved on. And the picture of me like the day before the, the thing is like I'm in a bikini and I'm doing a bicep and I'm queen of the world. And the picture of me at this dinner, like it almost looks like I have gray hair. And I'm hunched over and I just am not present. Like I'm a ghost. I'm gone. Wow. And all around me, camp continues. I'm like that person in the corner like, this is all very nice. It was terrible. Like, I still think about it and I'm just like, what? You know, but that's me. Like, I can't ever let go. Like, I have to go back. I have to see it out. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside. Yeah. Down by the riverside, yeah. Down by the riverside, I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield. Down by the riverside, I'm gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study The bonding war and no hanging more. out with my friends, all of that closeness. No I really grew up at camp. And, you know, summertime was really what I looked forward to all year long. I grew up in Ohio. And so there were not a lot of Jewish kids. And I went to Jewish summer camp. and. That was really where I felt like I could be me and sort of let loose, and that's where I felt most connected. So many happy memories, like first kisses and things like that, really happened at camp. Those you know stereotypes where it's like, dude, everybody's hanging down at the tennis courts. Like that was really (laughs) tennis courts only a pond. (laughs) pond. But you know there was those things, and it became tradition, and it became ingrained in us to sort of live that when we were there. My experience was always really intense. We always joked around that camp time was different than the rest of the world because everything is compacted into eight or nine weeks. I remember my very first year of camp, 
I wrote my mother. My mom loves to show uh, people these letters that I wrote to her where I sign all of them, sad Herschel, depressed Herschel, with smiley faces, with tears. So I was smiling, but tears dripping down my face or whatever. My mom loves to say, that was all written the first day. He ended up having the best time. We were supposed to write every other day. So I just wrote like a ton of letters because I was homesick the first day and sent them all through the first session. So like It's the week four. Yeah. We're still doing color war. But my mom and dad showed up to that first year of camp being like, oh God, I think we're going to have to put the kid in therapy. I think he's like been broken. And like I, I'm like filthy and I walk off and I'm smiling. And my parents are like, how was it? And I was like, best time ever. The summer of 1992, I was a CIT, a counselor in training. It was my first year as a counselor in a cabin. And I remember thinking, man, I'm the shit. Like, this is going to be amazing. We're going to have the best time. It's going to be an amazing summer. And all leading up to that summer, I had heard about this mystery girl who hadn't been at camp the last couple of, And there's always, like, a person mm -hmm. who, like, drops off for a couple of years and then reemerges, and that's the story. With bigger boobs. Yeah, well, you're right. It's true. Um, it's but, absolutely true, bigger boobs. But, like, you know, that was the story all through the year that kind of led up, and there's always a story. There's always something that kind of leads the action towards Summer. And all of my friends were like, dude, you're going to meet her, and everybody's going to be so into her. Like, and every one of my friends was the one who was like, I think I got a real shot. Like, I know her really well. And, right? And I was a little bit intimidated, but I really masked it well. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And I'm going to go listen to Spin Doctors. Right, right. <laughs> Not if you want to call me maybe. Right. So, um, but in the back of my mind, I was like, well, what if this girl really is amazing? And like, what if I could be the one to be? You know, like, yeah. it, it yeah. was that. So that summer rolls around. And right before camp started, I was like, I'm going to go get myself a new summer hat. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I went to the Gap because that year the Gap had all these like colored hats. And if I describe the hat to you, you may remember it. It was an army green Gap hat with a yellow bill and a red yeah. G. And they had like a whole line of these hats and everybody wore them that year. Just like, white guys everywhere. everywhere. White guys everywhere <laughs> wearing Gap hats. And I had like one of these hats. So that was kind of my thing. And I wore this hat like all summer. And those, you know, hey, Herschel, where's your Gap hat? Uh, it's in my back pocket. Always got it with me. You know, <laughs> He's like the boss, but different. But it turns out that I was actually able to be with that girl. I was with that girl for the last three weeks at camp. And as you know, when you go to camp, you never talk about who you're with, with the campers. Right. So we kept it Cardinal like... Cardinal rules. Right? So you're like sitting in your cabin, and I had like 12 and 13-year-olds, and they're just coming into their hormones, and they're like, dude, that counselor, she's so hot. Whoever's with that girl <laughs> is like the luckiest counselor in the world. And I just had to be like, man, when I drop that on you guys, you're going to think I'm made of gold, you know? <laughs> And so, who wants to smell me? <laughs> I was like, man, I, I came into my own and I felt really, really proud and happy that uh, I was able to sort of be like willing it to happen. You were a guy with um, a gap hat, man. You yeah, dude. It's in my back pocket. <laughs> and so, when I told all of the campers the last night, they were just floored and everybody was just like, man, that's crazy. Everybody loves so and so. That's I'm right. I'm not going to use her we'll name. We'll call her. Sasha. So and so. It was caller Sasha. Was really Sasha oh, Gray. Shit. No. I'm no. Um, <laughs> so the last day of camp, you know, comes and I we're cleaning out our cabins and everything, and I go up to her and I'm like, Hey, I'm really, I'm really like had an awesome summer. I'm really gonna miss you. She was a year older, so there was a lot about this that was like exciting to me. And I was a young junior, soon to be senior, so I was only 16. 
And I was only 17 when I graduated from high school, so that's important to remember as well. So I remember standing across from her and being like, this is a really amazing summer, and I hope we keep in touch. You know, all that bullshit. And then I gave her my Gap hat. (laughs) And I was like, I hope you remember me in college. You're probably going to want to put this on a shelf in your bedroom. Yeah, you're probably going to want to keep it in a box so when you come back next year, it's in great condition, and we can pick up just where we left off. You know those Tupperware things that shape the hat? Yeah, airtight it. Airtight it. I don't want any moth damage on this hat. Camp breaks, and she goes to college, and instead of kind of letting it be where it was, I was young and believed that she was the love of my life. Mm. Because I was a camp song leader and I uh, (laughs) loved to express myself through song, I decide that I'm going to sit down and I had never written a song for a girl before. Music's always been a part of my life. Yeah. Com- comedy. Three songs for me. Yeah, I've written seven <laughs> songs for you, Dave. Murder in the Woods is my favorite. Yeah. Um, That's a sweet riff. <laughs> yeah. This was the very first song I ever mm. wrote for somebody. And I remember sitting down and writing it in my room with my guitar, sitting Indian style with the pad of paper and like really scribbling it out and being thoughtful about it. Now, when I tell you, the song is terrible. <laughs> like, it is, a, it. it is a terrible do song. Do you still know the words? Uh, I'm going to play it for you at the oh! end of this story. Oh. Uh, and by the way, I've never played the song other than, I mean, I've played it yeah. for me just to get a chuckle out of it. Yeah. Like, whenever I'm like, uh, where's my comedy bone? And I, like, you know, I bring it out, I'm like, there it is. Um, <laughs> As the year went on, I actually ended up having a really good senior year of high school. And as camp started approaching, I started feeling less and less like I wanted to go to camp. But the one thing that was saving me was I got this song and I know that she's going to be back. And it's a winner. And it's a winner. And we're going to see each other and she's going to automatically remember the gap hat moment. And it's all going to fall into place. And so we show up at camp. And something has changed. Oh, no. It all feels different to me. And not only that, but the girl doesn't really want to have anything to do with me. Not even a conversation. Now, I had told, obviously, everyone because of my ego, I wrote this song, it's all going to be amazing. So I had told people, it's going to be amazing. And so I'm starting to feel very sad, and it's the first week of camp which is staff week so it's the week that everybody gets together so i'm starting to feel really down and so i actually remember everybody's out partying having a great time and i went back to the cabin to read michael crichton's jurassic park (laughs) (laughs) no one will understand me alone 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 (laughs) at like 9 30 p.m like in the middle of the week in the middle of staff week and i'm quiet down out there (laughs) trying to read i'm reading michael crichton now at the end of the first staff week it becomes very clear that she's with somebody already. Uh, a person at home? Or no. Per- oh, worse. So in the, span, in the span of like four days, I'm reading Michael Crichton. I'm super depressed. I'm upset. I'm like looking at my guitar thinking it's my only savior. And then I hear, oh, she's with X. And X is the guy who wears the Rasta hat, who oh, wears the baggy pants, no. who, White has, guy with dreadlocks? who has the long hair oh. and, the, and the little string braid in his <gasps> hair, and he could give a fuck about you, you know? <laughs> but, and everybody loves him because he's just that guy. 
And so for the first four weeks of camp, every day I'm seeing them in the dining hall, like, and you're not supposed to tell anybody right. like who you're with, yet they're telegraphing it to the entire world. And it feels like it's like aimed right at me. It's like dagger after dagger after dagger. And I'm like, what happened here? Wait, what happened to the kids you told? Were they all gone? No, they were all they were all cool. So some of them knew. Some of even the kids knew. Yeah, so they're all you, expecting me to be uh, with this girl again. Like, wow, this so is why you never tell? Not even at the end of the summer. That's right. Lots of lessons learned. And by the way, halfway through that first session, I start seeing my gap hat appearing on her head. Like it was How like dare it was she like every not. insult that could be flung. Second session rolls around and we get our assignments. She and I are both placed in the same unit, so we both have the same age campers. Yeah. So we're going to be doing guys and girls programming like every day. And I'm like, haha, I have an in. She, I guess, had found out that I had written this song, but we never really talked about it. And every time I tried to like engage her, it was like, hey, can I just talk to him? Okay, I'll talk to you later. You know, like right, <laughs> like goes right across. So, like second session rolls around. I'm starting to feel the ice thaw a little bit, but maybe only because we're in proximity right. to each other right. now. There's only a week and a half left of camp. So we go on this camp out as a unit. Now, we actually actually leave camp and go to a campsite like a couple hours away, some remote Indiana you know, uh, park or whatever. And so it's just our unit out there for like two days. Do they pre-clear the anti-Semites? Yeah, they clear them out. <laughs> so we're at this camp out. And like halfway through the first day, out of the blue, she comes up to me and she says, you going to play that song for me? I, I literally remember, I was like, holy shit, this is it. So I was like, yeah, whatever, tonight, like, after the kids go to bed, whatever, we'll, we'll like, I'll play it for you, yeah. You know, like, uh. <laughs> so she comes up to me, she's like, do you want to, do you want to play it for me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get my guitar, and, like, getting your guitar when you're the song leader is, like, an ordeal, because, like, you have to put it in your case, you have to get your tuner, you have to get, get your picks, you got to get it, you got you to you you take the strap off, you know, you have to do the whole thing. Yeah. I get the guitar, we leave the campsite and walk about a quarter mile down from the campsite, and I'm like, all right, yeah. this is happening, this is for real, this is my, this is my moment, right? <laughs> and so we find this picnic table, and we sit down, and I get out my guitar, which, again, takes... 20 yeah. minutes and I look at her and I go hey this is for you but go ahead right <laughs> right and I'm so earnest I'm so earnest about it like and I believe every moment of what's happening and I think that this is like the best and I start playing and I'm playing it like I've never played it before and the Indiana sky was filled with stars and it was beautiful and it was 85 degrees and it just felt like there was the amore in the air. And so I'm trying to gauge her, but it's dark, so I can't really see what's going on. But I don't hear a lot happening. I'm not really feeling like there's much reaction. And so I, f I finish with a flourish. And there is silence. <laughs> a deafening silence. Oh, at least a minute of nothing. Only to be broken by... Ah, oh, that was cool. <laughs> and then, in that moment, I realized what real humiliation and embarrassment was. <laughs> I had spent 12 months thinking about this girl and preparing this and writing this song and doing all of this. And in the span of three minutes... Oh, I thought it was like a 30-minute song. And so, more silence... 
sound in the woods. Crickets? Crickets? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> and she goes, oh, we should probably head back. <laughs> we walked back. And remember, I have to pack up my guitar, which took 45 minutes. And we walk back to the campsite. Didn't say each other, any, another word to each other. Didn't say another word to each other the rest of the summer. It was, it was that powerful. Heartbreaking. It was the first time I ever felt like my superpowers let me down because the things that I thought that were yeah. the th- the ringers, yeah. the guitar, the music, the sensitivity. It was really in that moment that I realized what this really was. And this was the moment saying, it's time to go. And I remember really thinking about that later in life that it's probably the best thing that could have happened to me because it was a clear indicator that I was ready to move on. I think this was kind of the moment that forced me to think about what I wanted to be when I got to college and forced me to be like, I don't want to be that sensitive, sappy guy who's pining over the girl. And I think the people in this room would agree that that's not who I was Mission in Mission achieved. <laughs> and so I so masked that pain by completely compensating in a different way when I got to college because I never wanted that to happen to me again. Now, what's great is... I'm friends with this girl on Facebook. <laughs> now, yeah, and what's cool about it is I, I, I don't know if she'll know it's her if, if she listens to this. Um, but It might have been the other guy in the woods it that been. sang her an epic song. But what I'm saying is I, I think it was so... Braid. I'll tell you but, something. Let me tell you something. If it had happened to me, I would remember it for the rest of my goddamn life. Right. In the worst way. In the worst She's way. This guy now, wrote this really right. shitty yeah. song. And... And, and then I he stands outside my clap or yeah. something. And, and he stands outside of my cabin every day staring at me like, what did you think? Now, what's interesting to note is I have no idea what she was thinking. We yeah. never. Well, I think we all know what she well, was thinking. We have surprised Because if she was like, oh, this guy is the next Eddie Vedder. <laughs> all right. I want to hear this song. Give me give me some um, song. Give me, let's play us out here. Yeah, sure. Promise. Uh, promise. Promise to not la- to put this on the Internet. No, I was going to say. Well, yes. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Do you need 20 minutes to tune? You never said a word after I played the song. <laughs> uh, wait. You killed me. You crushed um, me with your silence. All right, all right, campers, hands are up. Hands are up. Hands are up means mouths are shut. Yeah. Uh, right now we have song leader Herschel Bleefeld yeah. here, and he is going to sing us the most humiliating song he has ever written and performed. Here it so goes. So everybody, big hand for Herschel. <laughs> I laughed just thinking about it. <laughs> Golden rings ascend a mountain Full of dreams and bright-eyed joy The walk to the peak, it's long and lonely No one is there to hold your hand Hold your hand On the other side 
is a glowing valley speckled with rays of the rain and sun with fields of green and glowing hills echo the illusion of my loneliness <laughs> the most literary song ever my loneliness it's so sad <laughs> here we go I would climb the mountain to see your face I would cross the ocean <laughs> to gaze into those eyes I would leave everything here to hear your voice again I would kiss death to feel your touch <laughs> I can't believe this didn't work I know you're warm Charge my dreams in bright-eyed joy of the walk to the peak. It's long and lonely, but for you it's worth it just to hold your hand. Just to hold your hand. Thanks for destroying me. Holding <laughs> down. If you fell in a ditch tomorrow, I wouldn't be so sad. <laughs> Didn't you hear the part about the golden rings, bitch? I said golden rings. Is anybody here in the woods? What's going on? Don't you fucking love me? I said golden rings. Don't you have lady parts? Nobody denies golden rings. Where's your <laughs> I think this might have actually worked only 20 years too late. Oh, too late, right? Oh, my husband Matt. So that was. <laughs> he, he so that it. was that was my song. Yay! Yeah. But you can see yeah. that like it was just way too too much. It for was the too moment. much. For, yeah. Yeah. This and is it like did get a little hostile in the end. So yeah. Can see <laughs> well, yeah. But when I listen to it now, like when I think about the words, I'm like, oh, it's it's, it's not bad. It like makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But it's so. Remember. 16-year-old sad Herschel yeah. sitting in his bedroom talking about golden rings. I, I thought it was Golden live. Rains and it was like no. a pee song. <laughs> golden Rings? That would have yeah. been better. I, I, thought, change I it. understand why she didn't want to be with what if she's like, just like, I'm going to pee on you. What if she hears this and goes, if it had just been Golden Rains, yeah. he would have been mine. Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys for sharing all your traumatic stories about <laughs> camp. Um, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate Bill, yeah. it. And uh, yeah, play us out, Herschel. Driving down 611 in the death van You better watch out when I turn that bend If you're over 60, I'll motherfucking murder you with the front end of my death van. Dodge Ram. That's a motherfucking Dodge Ram. <laughs> Shit color brown. 
canoe trailer Gonna take you down Motherfucking old man Didn't you see that biker coming? No you didn't cause you're blind as a bat You stupid motherfucker Why did you get in my way? You ruined the rest of my camper day Hey old man Don't get in the way of my death van Bitch. Don't forget the hitch <laughs> It fell down the hill Everybody sing with me I want to ride in a death van 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 Jenny, take me home So we should record now, right? <laughs> Whoa! So there you have it. Three stories from three different camps that taught three very different people who they wanted to be. We had a lot of fun mocking Herschel's love song, but it was only after everyone left that I realized Herschel's song about a girl full of dreams and bright-eyed joy isn't actually about a girl at all. It's about how much anyone who was ever lucky enough to find joy in a summer camp dreads leaving that camp, and how much we all still think about it after we're all grown up. And as for that Death Van song, my first thought when I heard it was, I am going to get sued. And my second thought was, I hope that nice old man in the pickup truck never, ever, ever hears this podcast. Because in truth, I can never think about this accident without also thinking about that man driving down 611 with his jugs of milk in the back of his pickup truck and a dog. And he took that same curve at the exact wrong time. And I hope that his injuries weren't too bad and that he recovered and went on with his life. And as for that biker the one on the tiny road bike on the windy road of 611 on a rainy day? To him, I would just say, wait until you hear the song we sang about you. Anyway, Death Van just proves that no matter how long you hold on to guilt and sadness, it doesn't stand a chance against great music, highly inappropriate lyrics, and laughter. Thanks to Herschel Bleefeld and Dave McHugh for their stories, and to Alex Cook, Sarah Stein Greenberg, Mandy McFarland Poling, and the long ago, all grown up Camp Onus singers for their amazing musical talent. Talk to you next week. I'll feast at your table and sleep in your clover. I'll laugh and I'll cry and I'll sing. Today, while the blossoms still cling to the vine, I'll taste your strawberries, I'll drink your sweet wine. A million tomorrows may all pass away, ere I forget all the joys that were mine.